You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on episode 212 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the 2022 Hyundai Tucson Hybrid, the single motor Polestar 2. Rivian won't be doing any tank turns anytime soon. Robbie shares some highlights from IA Mobility in Munich. Lucid Air can go 520 miles on a charge. And GM picks a LiDAR supplier for Ultra Cruise. All coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 212 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad of Guidehouse Insights. I'm Nicole Wakeland of Auto by Tell. And I am Roberto Baldwin of, let's say, Wired. Excellent. What, Nicole, have you been driving this week? Well, it actually wasn't this week because I was out driving, doing drive programs and running away to Disney World for the week, but I want to talk about the car I drove like two weeks ago. Um, I had a chance okay. to drive the Polestar 2. Uh, they did a launch for the new um, single motor, which is the front-wheel drive, and the new dual motor, which is their all-wheel drive. This is the first time I've ever driven a Polestar. Have you guys ever driven these before? I'm betting you have. I We have. Uh, I have. Yeah. I, I had you one have. back in July for like three or four days. Um, yeah. And they, and they actually launched the, the dual motor last year. Yes, so they've, they've, they've had the some, dual motor around for a while. The dual motor they've had around for a while, but they, they, there's one there's one change to it. They have now, um, well, there's more than one change. They made some a lot of little changes. But they now have this um, a mechanical heat pump in this, and it increases the range. And they said it increases the range by about, and it's optional. It doesn't, it's not a standard thing. It's part of this package that's, uh, the plus package and it's like $4,000 for the plus package, but it has a whole bunch of other stuffs in it. Hence the plus, uh, but they say it increases the range by about 10%. They can't put that in any of the official 
range things though, but because it's optional, the EPA says no. You can't include that. That's not really official. It doesn't. It doesn't count. But uh, you can get it unless, just, unless they certify it separately. Unless which they, they could, they would have the option have to, to do it. Okay. The way they said it was like because it's yeah. an optional thing, not a standard thing. You you couldn't really include it. Uh, but that yeah. Fact, I mean, if if it was if it if it, if they certified it separately, you know, if they, they made they it part of the trim level and and they and they certify it separately, but then that's also. That adds a whole lot more cost. Yes. How much is it? How much does it cost to get the EPA to certify a car? More than thirty dollars. Uh, I mean, to go through more than thirty dollars. Huh? Well, then forget it, Roberto. That's completely yeah. unreasonable. I wouldn't pay That's, a dime over twenty nine. More than <laughs> I mean, more than two pieces. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's on the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is to, it really? To go through the whole yeah, to go through the whole testing process and do all the paperwork. So wait, when you it, have it might like even be those... upwards of a million dollars. Wait, so when you have Ooh. some of those cars that like um, I can't even think of one like the TLX. There's 15 different variants. There's like the A spec, and there's this, mm-hmm. and there's that. Do they have to certify every single one of those separately, or is that one big certification? Typically, they will certify um, each powertrain combination, but not necessarily uh, each trim level. Okay, because sometimes um, the trims, but you know, get again. Different... It, it, you know, it's the same powertrain, yeah, but this well, trim gets a little bit better than that trim because it has, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, it, de- it depends on, on where, like, what the weight is. Because when you do the certification, you know, um, the vehicle goes, you know, as part of, because they do the, the testing on a dynamometer. When they right. figure out the loading for the dynamometer, part of that is simulating the weight. So it's a test weight class. And these are, like, about 100 to 150-pound bands you know, so between 2000 and 2150, between 2150 and 2300 pounds gotcha. and so on. So if the options that are, or, or the equipment that's included on a particular trim level bumps it up into another test weight class, then, uh, you know, then they will have to recertify it. You know, wow. if they can get it within that same range for the, for the test weight class and it's got the same powertrain, then they, they don't have to certify it separately. Wow. There so are, now instead of looking at those EPA numbers and thinking this is a pain in the neck to write up, I'm going to think, oh, my gosh, this cost them a small fortune to get all these numbers. <laughs> there, there, are yep. six, exactly. there are six trim levels. Trim levels. Trim levels. Yeah, there really? Are six trim levels for the uh, Acura TLX on uh, the EPA site. Yeah. So they I did just, six separate cars. They did an all-wheel drive, the all-wheel drive A-spec, front-wheel drive, the front-wheel drive A-spec. And then, of course, the new Type S and the Type S with uh, per- yeah, that's a performance lot of, tires. Wow. I don't yeah. think I realized. But it's I mean, also knew- accurate money, so it's just like, Ooh. Yeah, like, here, have all our money. No, yeah. but I thought, it, I, I knew that it was expensive, but I just didn't think about the fact. I'm like, oh, my, you mean every single, like, is the, all those variants. Wow. Well, I can yeah. see why Polestar might not want to do that just for the heat pump. Um, but They'll probably just make it standard in, like, but- two, 18 months, and then they could, they'll re-EPA it then. That would make sense if they did do it yeah. sooner. But yeah, right now it's not. It's only in the plus pack. Four grand for the plus pack, but you also get um, a glass panoramic sunroof, including the projected pole star symbol on the roof. Which you gotta say, like that alone is worth four thousand um, dollars. It's worth twenty five hundred. 
2,500. Uh, yeah. Weave Tech Charcoal Z. So that leaves 1,500 for the heat pump. Yeah. For the heat pump. A Harman Kardon Premium glass. Audio System with Fresh Air Subwoofer. I don't even know what that means. I'm looking all at it plays this. is Fresh Air with Terry Gross. <laughs> that's it. That's all you get. You get one that's thing. All get. That's all you get. It superimposes, it superimposes the base, the, base the, the low frequencies from Terry Gross's show <laughs> on top of whatever you're listening to. On top of whatever, so that's yeah. always in the background. Uh, what do you get? High-level illumination interior, inductive charging, 15 watts for a smartphone, rear four lid-in lid with bag holder, and a heated steering wheel and heated rear seat. All of that, Ooh. four grand. Uh, heated so, rear seat for your puppies. That's a bargain. I, I, for your puppies. Yeah. What? You want heated rear seat? Your friends? You don't want your friends to have cold yeah. butts where you're like up in the I front seat? Like my, my butt's rides. nice and warm. <laughs> for what friends they can just get there we, we, we had a del sol and my fr- i bought a del sol from a friend and when he bought it i'm like what about giving people rides he's like i guess i don't give people rides and then i bought the del sol from him and that was our car and people were like what about giving people rides i'm all i guess they just follow us i don't know have to drive in their own cars they're gonna have to do it the hard way figure it out i'm not a bus <laughs> I'm not a bus. Wow. Um, there's our title for the show. I'm not a bus. Um, okay, so it is the heat pump. So you have the, the single motor, which is the four, uh, and it's like five, again, we're about, about $4,000. It's $4,000 less than the dual range. Um, it drives, have you, it drives differently. I mean, you know that it doesn't have as much oomph, as much power. It doesn't, yeah, if you're looking for the most like, yeah, performance. Um, but if you're not really all that concerned about the slight, the dip in performance, it's still just as, it's really a f- fine. I find sounds like I'm like, we're fine. We're fine. It's all fine, but it's perfectly fine. I don't, I would not go for the dual range unless I really wanted all wheel drive. Like, unless I like Robbie, I wouldn't buy it if I were you because you're in sunny California where you don't have to worry about snow. Sam, if it were you, I'd go for the dual range because you're in the wilds of Michigan where it snows the from. The wilds. The wilds, I know. <laughs> so Living I, in a cave. Living in a cave. He, yeah, he cooks over fire. Um, so, But if you want the dual motor, that's actually coming out next month. That's The new one's supposed to be out in October, but the single range isn't due out till January, so you'll have to, or the single motor, rather, isn't due out till January, so you'll have to make do for a little while. I thought it was really neat. It's a very interesting, it's such a um, plain car. It's very, like, like you know, it's it, there's nothing happening. It's so, there's nothing to attract your attention inside. It's the most mellow, like very, minimalist car I think I've ever driven in my life. It's very Swedish, like even beyond like its parent company. Well, not parent. It, I don't even know what you call Volvo and, and Polestar now anymore because they're part of Geely and they kind of like, yeah, we're part of Volvo, but not real. I mean, yeah. the, the Polestar headquarters Vol- is right in the... the, the whatever. I, yeah. But well, yeah, Vol- it, Volvo it, it, but- owns the majority of Polestar and Geely owns the rest of it. But, but Volvo is... The, the Polestar is so clean, minimalist, no fanciness that's unnecessary inside that it actually makes a Volvo look overdone. Like, that's how simplified <laughs> like, and how clean. Yeah, it's just like there's nothing. Um, and, and, and that and the fact that it comes in five shades of of black it's like um, gray it, it's all these grays. Of gray yeah it's like and they yeah. give them all these really cutesy names it's like thunder void moon magnesium midnight oh there is one bright color snow but it's basically light gray dark gray medium gray <laughs> off gray and charcoal gray like they're all just gray yeah. you the only color in all these images are the yellow brake calipers that like pop out from behind the front wheels that's it <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yes, it was interesting to drive it. I mean, being the first time I've ever driven this, I did think it was, it was, it's weird because it's so clean inside and it's, it almost feels like underdone. Like I wanted them to do just a little bit more, a little bit more car in my car, a little bit more pop in my car. The little logo on the panoramic sunroof was just not enough. You want more buttons? And there was a logo too in the uh, yeah. in the gear shift. Like the gear shift is has a cutout in the middle, yeah. and, and, it, and it shines a little Polestar logo like in the gear shift. Like it's that's like, two logos. What else do you want? They're Swedish. Two logos. I want. I <laughs> it want is not a bracket. Well, there's also country. It is very much like. Well, there, there's also one on the steering wheel. There is. Oh, yeah, yes, but that one doesn't count because everybody has that. I wanted like the one yeah. on the seal on the ceiling on the roof of the car on the se- is cool, and the one in the actual gear shift is cool. But I really liked it. It was it was neat to drive. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was so minimalist. I was almost caught off guard. But it was a nice car to drive. Very quiet. Very comfortable. It's, it's, and like I said, whether you get the single or the dual motor, they're both responsive vehicles. So it's not like you get the single motor and suddenly you think, oh my gosh, I'm driving this like slow, sluggish, nothing of a vehicle. It's it, it it's still a responsive uh, powertrain and I wouldn't... Well, that's the nice thing about an EV. Yeah. You know, because you know, you've got that instant torque. Even, even with the single motor, you've still got, I think, 260 horsepower, something like that. You know, and the, the dual motor is 400 horsepower and it's surprisingly quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at this thing, it doesn't look like a sports car. You know, it doesn't look like something that should be going zero to 60 in four and a half seconds. It really doesn't. It feels really quick. It's this super mild mannered sedan. In fact, it was kind of funny when they were all sort of parked across the street from the hotel where we were staying. And I didn't realize they were out there initially. Like, I didn't really. Normally, you see all the cars from a program, you're like, oh, there's all the cars we're driving. And I had this moment, I'm like, where, where are the things? I'm like, wait. Oh, that's five of them right across the street. Oh, that is them are. right there. <laughs> like you kind of, they, they're just this, they're so mild mannered. Um, but what, what did you say? Horsepower, the single motor is 231 horsepower. Is that what you said, yeah. Sam? Oh, is it 230? Okay. 231 horsepower. I, I, I said 260, but. Yeah. Oh, you gave it too much. 231 in the single motor <laughs> with like, like tone it down. This is a Swedish car. Uh, 243 pound feet of torque where the dual has 408 and 487. So it's a pretty significant difference it's not a minor difference and yeah you do feel it but that 231 and that instant torque in the single motor you don't you don't miss the extra from the dual motor in a way that you think oh man there's no performance to this this is this is drudgery no it's still really fun to drive i enjoy the boat you you know it's insane the the nice thing about oh you know what's insane is that the engine that hold that powertrain that's in the polestar 2 it's in the xc40 recharge Mm-hmm. So you get in that little like SUV and you're like, oh, this is fine. And you 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 push down the accelerator and all of a sudden you're just slammed up against your seat. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> this tiny little SUV. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then the nice thing about you know the fact that it only comes in you know these monochromatic shades, you know, and it's got a fairly nondescript design, is that you know you could probably drive it at 120 miles an hour. And, you know, cops probably wouldn't even notice you drive by. It's it, invisible. Yeah, it's like a stealth fighter. Like you're yeah. driving a Mustang just blends into the background. and it's bright red or something, these bright, vibrant colors. You stand yeah. out. This means just like you could be going faster and all the cops going to see is a Mustang. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Just fly past the Mustang. What was that? I don't know. Wind? <laughs> Wind. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But, yeah. So it was, it was a fun car so, to drive. I enjoyed it. Cool. Um, 
All right. I had the Hyundai Tucson Hybrid, the 2022 Hyundai Tucson Hybrid. And, um, you know, when, when they launched, when they revealed the, the new Tucson, know, was it this year or was it last year? I can't remember. This year. Uh, I think it was early this year. when, Yeah, I think it was early this year when they first showed it off. Yeah, the, the thing that struck me about it was it looks significantly larger than the old Tucson. Um, and it is larger. I mean, it's, it's like six inches longer. It's, uh, it basically splits the difference between the old Tucson and the old Santa Fe. Um, so it's, it's a surprisingly large vehicle, although, you know, it turns out it's actually right in the same ballpark as most of the competitors in that same segment, like the CRV and the RAV4, uh, and the escape. But, um, it just, you know, partly I think, you know, kind of the proportions of it actually make it look longer even than the old one. Because uh, the old one had kind of this stubby design, especially at the front and at the back, you know, kind of. Whereas this one, you know, kind of carved off more. Um, and it's it's a really it's an interesting design. It's a, it's a new design direction for Hyundai. You know, you, we started to see this last year on the new Elantra. Uh, you know, with kind of the the faceted side panels and everything. You know, sharp edges, um, moving away from the the was it fluidic design? I think they called it before, um, you know, to this, this more, sh- you know, almost crystalline shape to it. And then the other thing that they did with the, uh, with the Tucson, especially in the front is, uh, you've got this hidden lighting, you know, you, when it's turned off, you see this big, you know, what looks like a big black grill. Um, and, you know, again, you know, with kind of these, um, diamond shapes in it, and then as soon as you start it, you know, uh, big sections on either end of it light up mm-hmm. from behind. So you know, you don't see the lights when it's off. It just it just all blends together. But then it all lights up, and it, it you know, we first saw it a couple of years ago at the LA Auto Show on a concept that they had, and they you know they brought the same idea to production. And I think it, it's a it's a cool look. Um, you know, and it, as with before, they have a conventional internal combustion version, but <clears throat> this year they're adding, uh, they added a hybrid and there's also a plug-in hybrid version coming in a few months. I think that launches early 2022. I don't think it's available quite yet. Um, the hybrid is the same powertrain that is in the new uh, Kia Sorento hybrid. Uh, so it's the 1.6 liter turbo, uh, which, you know, Hyundai and Kia have had various versions of this for several years in a, in a variety of different uh, products. Um, in this case here, when it's paired up as part of the hybrid system, it's got 180 horsepower, 195 foot-pounds of torque. Um, and it's paired up here with uh, a 44-kilowatt uh, electric motor uh, and a 1.4-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery. So the the total output of the the total system output 226 horsepower 258 foot pounds of torque, and it's it's really smooth driving uh, the powertrain, you know unlike and it and it feels very natural um, because unlike Toyota you know Hyundai does their hybrids using a conventional uh, auto, six speed automatic transmission they don't they don't have this CVT style. Uh, set up for their hybrid system that Toyota does. And on the Toyotas, on most of the Toyota hybrids, you know, when you accelerate 
you put your foot down, you hear the engine rev up to about 4,000 RPM, and it sits there until the engine catches up to it. And that motorboating effect. You don't get that with, with, a, with Hyundai hybrids. They, they feel much more natural. But uh, this thing has enough horsepower, enough electric power, 59 horsepower from the electric motor, that it can do a surprising amount of electric-only driving when the, when the battery's charged up. Uh, you can go easily a couple of miles, and if you're if you're light on the accelerator, you can get this. You can pull away from a stop and drive for quite a ways on just electricity alone without ever starting the engine, uh, which is surprising. And then even when it does start up, you don't feel any shuddering or anything. It's it's fair. It's the engine's quite quiet. Um, so the, I think the powertrain is really good. Uh, the interior of the new Tucson is interesting because when you look at it, when you see pictures of it, interesting, it, it looks, <laughs> it looks very modern. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a good design. Uh, you know, it's got a, a large touchscreen display in the center and you've got a, a digital instrument, you know, rectangular digital panel in front of you for the instrument cluster. And it, uh, the the way it flows down, it doesn't have you know. Unlike a lot of uh, modern cars, you know, the touchscreen is not sitting up like a tablet on top of the dashboard. It it all it's integrated and it flows down from the dash. You've got a flush surface, and when you look at it from the side, it kind of folds under. It looks like it folds underneath at the bottom. It's I think it's a really nice design, uh, although. Uh, all of the, the climate controls and everything uh, along the bottom of that surface below the touchscreen are all also capacitive touch controls. So that there's a, a volume. Uh, there's no volume knob. You know, it's all it's all touch controls, uh, which I'm not crazy about. the The other thing is, even though it looks good, when you start touching surfaces, you find that most of the surfaces in there are actually hard plastic surfaces. They're nicely grained, uh, so they don't look particularly cheap, but they don't feel premium when you touch them, uh, which at the price point of the, the one that I was driving, I was the one I had was the limited all-wheel drive. Uh, it was $37,350, uh, and then I think there's a $1,000 um, delivery charge on top of that, so thirty, you know, $38,500 for that. And it doesn't feel particularly premium for what you get. Mm. Now you can get the the, the base uh, blue hybrid all wheel drive starting at twenty nine thousand, uh, and I don't think that there's a front wheel drive hybrid. Um, no, there, you don't. There's no front wheel drive hybrid. So the hybrids, uh, the hybrid Tucson is only available with all wheel drive, uh, and. You know, it's it's a little on the pricey side, um, given the way it feels inside. It is very roomy. The the back seat, you know, lots of headroom, lots of legroom. Uh, there's lots of cargo space in the back. We took it to, you know, took Daisy and uh, my wife and I, and we went out to the lake and uh, had the the roll up paddleboard and chairs and stuff in the back. There's plenty of room for everything. Uh, so. That was good. You know, lots of um, equipment on the Limited. It's got the full suite of driver assist features, you know, adaptive cruise control, highway drive assist, 
which is basically a, a kind of a level two lane centering system, which works works really well on Hyundai and Kia vehicles. Um, the forward collision alert, the whole the whole gamut. Um, you got Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, but like I said, I, I I'm not crazy about the the touch controls for the audio and the um, and the climate controls along the the bottom surface of that center stack. Um, but I I do like the way it, it looks. I just not crazy about the way it all feels. Um, so that's the oh one other thing the fuel economy that I got didn't really match up with the uh, with the EPA numbers, which is kind of unusual really? these days. Um, it's yeah, it's EPA rated at uh, thirty seven miles per gallon, um, thirty seven city, thirty six highway. Um, I only got thirty three. Oh, that's um, a pretty big difference. I only wow. got thirty-three. Yeah, when and when I when I had the the Sorento hybrid uh, for the launch um, late last year, uh, it has the same powertrain in there. Uh, it actually you know is slightly longer because uh, it's a it's got a, a third row in there, although it's a small one. And I, you know, when I had it, it was winter time. Uh, it was cold out, and I actually got I think thirty-six with that one. So I'm not sure why this one only got 33. Um, hmm. You know, even you know, driving around town, uh, you know, where I was able to get lots of regen, uh, I still didn't get it much over about 34 and a half. Um, and then with highway driving, it was a little bit less than that. So it averaged out over the week to about 33 miles per gallon, uh, which is not you know, it's not terrible, but you know, compared to what you can get with um, the Toyota Highlander, which is even larger. Uh, right. It's not hard to get 35 out of a Highlander, um, you know, or 40 out of a, a Rav4 hybrid. You know, it's not exceptional. So yeah. uh, that's the the Hyundai Tucson Limited Hybrid All Wheel Drive. So many words. That's a lot of words <laughs> yes. for a not huge car. <laughs> it's longer than the car. It's a good size car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Robbie, you drove some stuff, but you can't tell us about it, right? Yeah, so I drove some stuff. You know what? And, I, and there's a third thing that I drove because we bought a car. But I'll talk about the other things first. Ooh. So I drove okay. the BMW iX and the BMW i4, which are their 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 latest uh, EVs. It's the fifth generation of uh, BMW's uh, eDrive. Sorry, they have eDrive, which is the powertrain, and they have iDrive, which is the infotainment system. Don't ask me why. Um, and I can't tell you uh, how well they did or did not drive, but I did drive them, and you'll find out about them at the end of this month and the middle of next month. But, uh, yeah, no, EVs from BMW, um, which, you know, shouldn't be surprising. BMW, the i3, well, the i8 was sort of a, a have Um But, yeah, yeah, fifth generation. So... It'll be, it'll be, uh, when I can tell you about it, it'll be interesting to talk about it uh, in, in relation to what everyone else is doing. You know, we, have, we have the EQS, we have the e-trons uh, up there. And so it's, it, it'll be a, it, it'll be a conversation. I don't <laughs> That we can't have yet. That we can't have yet. Uh, we can talk about, though, another EV, which is the 2022 Kona Electric, uh, just recently refreshed and then a few days later my wife and i went down and bought one <laughs> so now we have a 2022 uh kona electric it is uh 
the, it, it, the, the, the refresh is they, they refresh the front, um, the, 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 the front of the vehicle, they lowered the price, and I'm sure they probably did a couple other things. For the most part though, it's, it's pretty much the same car, 258 miles of range. Um, it, it, is, it is astoundingly odd that Hyundai um, is, you know, this car isn't new, it's been around for a few years, um, but their, their efficiency numbers are right up there with like Tesla. Like just insane that Hyundai, <laughs> Hyundai, not, not Ford, not little GM Hyundai. with all GM, just little old Hyundai. So my wife, uh, she drives with a bit of a lead foot. So I bought the car on, we bought the park car on Friday and then Saturday morning I left for a week. And my wife, who's never really driven an EV, was left with the car for a week. And she was, she went, she got a charge, she did all the things. And then when we, uh, she picked me up from the airport and she's like, oh, by the way, can you put me in sport mode uh, real quick for, I'm like, all right, because that's how she drives. My, my wife drives in sport mode <laughs> and is ready to rock at all times. Um, I, I approve. Down, I looked down at her, uh, the efficiency, like the, the kilowatts per mile, and um, it was 4.1, which is really good when you think about it, uh, 4.1 uh, for every mile, yeah. Which is right, again, up there with like, I think the, well, a, a year ago, I know. I think you mean 4.1 miles per kilowatt hour? Yes. Sorry, that's, the, yes, what you said, 4.1 yeah. 4. 1 miles per kilowatt hour. <laughs> Sorry about that. Which is right up there with like, you know, the Model 3. Uh, and the Model Y, which Tesla has been doing, and Tesla, you know, love them, hate them, whatever. Their efficiency numbers are out of this world insane when it comes to how well their their, their vehicles do. Um, so yeah, from Hyundai. So we bought the car. It's front wheel drive. It's not all wheel drive, but that's fine because I don't plan on really taking it up to Tahoe for snowboarding. Um, we have you know other things to do that. And it drives well. It's got, you know, 201 horsepower, so it's not super fast. But you still have, like, 200 and... Hold on to me. The torque number is, is obviously higher because EV torque. Uh, 291 uh, foot-pounds of torque. So, you know, you can stomp on the gas. You get that 0 to 30, 0 to 40 that everyone really likes anyway. Um, that's there. It's a fun little car to drive. It's got plenty of room. Uh, it's probably while we bought it. When I when I reviewed it a long time ago, I really enjoyed it, and I'm surprised uh, um, that it's taken everyone else this long to sort of catch up to Hyundai. I'm just going to keep saying that <laughs> when it comes to EVs. I mean, the ID4 is essentially like, hey, we caught up to Hyundai from a few years ago. <laughs> did you? What did you have before? Well, did you have an EV before this, Robbie? What did no, you? This or is, did you replace this, something or? So what happened was, is that my wife has hurt her ankle. We have a BRZ with a manual transmission. Ooh. She, it's her left ankle. So, you know, shifting gears has become, it can be difficult. Uh, we also have the free uh, 2004 Jaguar X-Type, which is a 2004 Jaguar. So it is about as dependable. <laughs> uh, That's all you need to say. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's half Ford. It's half mid 2000s Ford, half 2000s, half mid 2000s Jaguar. It is a Christmas tree of check engine lights. Um, it is, yeah. Um, so she, it had broken down. It, well, not broken down, but it failed to start on her a few times when she had to go to work and while she was at work. She works in a sort of rough neighborhood, at a hospital. Um, 
she makes, uh, and, and I told her this when the car wouldn't start one day, was I told her that you make entirely too much money to have a car that is unreliable in a neighborhood that you do not need. <laughs> you shouldn't have a car that's unreliable. So <laughs> we had looked, we looked around for uh, some other vehicles. Um, we, kind of, we looked at the ID4 a bit, um, but we decided to go with the Hyundai. Why did the Hyundai win over the ID4? I think, you know, she has friends who had uh, Volkswagens, and Volkswagens are either outstanding or not. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's sort of hit or miss (laughs) with Volkswagen. You know, you you either get a great car that has zero problems, or you get a car that's uh, maybe maybe has a few other problems. There are also some issues with um, the Volkswagen that I think would have infuriated her. I think the infotainment system that's still not been updated and fixed, I think that would make her angry. And then also there's like this, this sort of weirdness where you have to push a button in order to roll the rear, uh, rear windows down. There's only two little, you know, toggles for windows. And so natu- at, 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 its, at its sort of default position, you can roll down the front windows, the left and right front windows. If you want to roll the back windows down, you have to push a button and then it sets it to back windows and then you use those same buttons, those same toggles. Why? The- Why do they do that? I think they're trying to be... You save a switch. Save a switch. You saved a switch. There's also the there's also the uh, the situation with the side mirrors, where the first time I drove the ID4, I thought it was broken. Um, I couldn't get the buttons to 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 create. It's the same sort of button situation where you have to sort of push a button until it gets into the right position, and then you can adjust the side mirrors. And I I kept pushing the button, the actual knob for the side mirror. I'm like, oh, this doesn't work. I can't adjust the side mirrors. And it turns out gotcha. I was just, and so there's like these little things that, that Volkswagen did. They're like, hey, look at us for being, and I was just like, that's just going to piss off my wife. Uh, so there's a couple, there's a few things. I like the ID4. I think the ID4 is a, a great little car. I think that, that the infotainment system needs to be fixed as soon as possible because I think every day that they haven't fixed it, it's bad for that vehicle when there's other vehicles on the market, namely the Kona, the Mach-E, um, for people mm-hmm. who have a little bit more money, you know, the XC40 recharge. I mean, there's, and of course the Model Y. So they're, they're, they, they need to sort of get it together when it comes to that. Uh, but it. yeah, that was, that was sort of, you know, and she, my wife doesn't really like the way Volkswagens look. She was okay with the ID4, but she liked, you know, I'm like, okay, what about Hyundai? And her last Hyundai was a 1987 Hyundai XL. Wow. Had, you know, she, <laughs> she was a little, you know, used car when she was in high school. And again, the 1987 Hyundai XL is just a trash vehicle. It is just bad. Everything about that right. vehicle is bad. They were it cheap, though. They were, were cheap. super cheap. Yeah, it was cheap, like when you you know buy cheap, buy often sort of. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> where that. Um, and so she had a sort of a, a, an issue with Hyundais, even though she had been in a bunch of Hyundais uh, that I had that I had uh, reviewed. Um, and so I sort of talked to her and I sort of, uh, hopefully nothing goes wrong with this car because I've really talked up Hyundai in the last few weeks, um, how they've gotten, uh, they're, they're a better automaker than they were. You just dinged yourself. You're going to get the one, I know, you have the one Hyundai in the entire fleet that is going to be an utter piece of trash and you're, you have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got the one broken Hyundai, but they have that good warrant. They have the warranty and so I, I yeah. think it'll be fine. I mean, also, we also get free maintenance. So I'm like, oh great. What am I going to do with that with an EV? <laughs> I'm like, I guess something. Uh, anyway, yeah, so we drove it. Like it. Um, good little EV. If you're a person who's, uh, we leased it. And I wrote an article uh, on a site about why we decided to lease instead of uh, buy. 
and it really comes down to it comes down to battery technology and uh, the next generation EVs that are going to be uh, showing up in the next few years. Fair enough. There you go. So that's the three cars I drove. In fact, the, ne the next generation of Hyundai's are. Oh, we try well, to hold out for the Ionic Hyundai 5. Hyundai EVs is just a few months away. Yeah, we. Try, I, try, I really try to hold out for the Ionic Five. Um, I went. I saw it at the uh, the the Munich Auto Show. I really and I was like, oh man, this is dope. And uh, but we we kind of needed a car now. It's just one of those things where you're just like, well, fine. <laughs> yeah. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. All right. Let's get into some uh, items. Um, speaking of the Munich uh, Auto Show, the IAA Mobility Show, um, you were there um, and uh, we weren't. So what did you see that was interesting besides the uh, Ionic 5? Uh, oh, so I saw the, the, the Mission R, the Porsche Mission R, which is their, the uh, Porsche's sort of it's their, they, they, re, they essentially created a sports car, EV, and, you know, it's a concept, but the, they were very coy about the idea that, uh, um, you know, sort of like, like a wink, I'm doing a wink right now, I'm not very good at winking, uh, sort of winking at the fact that um, what we're seeing in this vehicle is going to be making its way into possibly a Cayman, um, and then, of course, uh, some sort of sports car or race car. Um, I'm, I, I, I really, really, really like the Taycan. Um, and so the idea that Porsche is making now a, a proper Porsche sports car that is an EV at some point in the future, I'm excited about because I think uh, the engineering and Porsche, what they've done with the Taycan, um, they're going to just, you know, advance that and make it, you know, better for someone who wants a, uh, a fast, a very fast, you know, I guess people would say a proper Porsche. Um, what else was cool? Uh, oh, there was the um, the new Volkswagen, the ID Home. Wait, ID Life. Sorry, the ID Life, <laughs> yeah. which is their mid to twenty thousand ish um, EV. It's a little you know for cruising around the city. Um, it looked great. We're not going to get it in America because we don't like small cars. The end. <laughs> Yeah, so I went over to America. shoot. I tried to go over and shoot video of it uh, for my YouTube channel, and uh, unfortunately, there was a line to get into it into because they had all the COVID um, protocols. Even though everyone had to be vaccinated to get in, and we all had to wear masks, there was still uh, a limit on how many people could be in um, in these uh, in the booths. 
So I got over to the ID, the Volkswagen booth, it was full, so then I just left and I came back later and I, there was a long line of video teams waiting to shoot video. So I looked at it, I got, ooh, this looks cool, and then I left. Um, because it's not coming in the United States. Um, and that, that makes yeah. me sad because we didn't get the ID3, and so there's, you know. How big is it? I mean, is it like roughly the size of the Polo or closer to a Golf? Uh, closer to a Golf, I think. I think it's smaller because I think the ID4 okay. is actually bigger than the Golf. ID3, I'm sorry, is larger than the Golf. Um, just it's just chunkier. It's just a chunkier car than the Golf mm -hmm. um, because of battery, etc. Um, and so yeah, the the ID Life is is a bit smaller. Um, I also was very excited about the idea of a G wagon, the E2G coming. They showed off their uh, near production uh, concept vehicle at uh, the Volks. At, I'm sorry, at the Mercedes booth, and it just it it, it looked like an E. <laughs> It just looks like a G-Wagon with a bunch of lights on it. That was essentially what it comes down to. But like we took a G-Wagon, just like a battery in it. Uh, we ripped out the motor and put a, some EV, put a four EV motors in it, which I'm very excited about. Um, and then uh, we put a ton of lights on it. Where do you think we should put lights? Yeah, let's put some lights Lots there. of LEDs. Everywhere. Anywhere Lots you can put a light, of LEDs. Light. Yeah. Um, which, of course, will all disappear when it goes to, to market. Um, you know, it just looks cool when you're, you know, at the thing. It was, yeah, it, it garnered a lot of interest because uh, G-Wagons and... Hold on. I'm going to close this door. The dogs are losing their minds. There we go. Sorry about that. <laughs> just keep coming in with their toys, barking at each other, jumping on top of things. The G-Wagon is... Yeah, it's a G-Wagon. I looked inside. It doesn't have the large, like, hyper screen setup that we're seeing in the EQS and available in the EQE. Uh, it just has sort of the, the traditional, you know, uh, two screen setup, but you can't have that hyper screen and still have that handle, you know, for the, uh, for the passenger right above the, the glove compartment. So I think maybe that's what they're going for. But um, yeah, four, four motors, uh, you know, true torque vectoring because every motor, every uh, wheel can do something completely different from anything else. Doesn't have, rely on a clutch, doesn't rely on any sort of differential, doesn't rely on any of that. It's just four different motors, and it'll have a proper low gear. So it'll have a two-gear setup somehow. I don't know. A two-range two uh, four-wheel yeah, drive so, system? Yeah, so you can set, you know, you can, you can shove it down in low and then pull a tree out of the ground or something. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. <laughs> like you do. Um, I think, yeah, I think it'll, it'll do well, especially in California where the G-Wagon does uh, very well, um, especially in the L.A. area. Uh, what else was cool? What, what did you think of the EQE? Yeah, it's just a smaller EQS, really. It's just, you know, it's it's like the E-Class. The E-Class is just like, well, you can't afford the S-Class, but you still want to be fancy. Uh, yeah, I'll just get the E-Class. E and that's, that's the EQE. It is, you know, it, it is a... I mean, the the design, the design of the EQE, even more so than the EQS, you know, it's going to this kind of jelly bean shape you know it's kind of just a blob and it's a bl it's i'm not a sure if i like they're it really they're really going for that you know they 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 you know that's and that's sort of the future of of uh of mercedes-benz design you know they told me at the eqs uh drive that's sort of what we can expect from from mercedes-benz i think it is a little blobbish but they're also trying to like you know drag coefficient they want to get those huge huge numbers mm -hmm. 
Um, because, you know, you're, you're buying a Mercedes. If you're buying a Mercedes, you don't want to be the person with a Mercedes with 200, you know, miles of, of range. You want, you know, 350, 400. Right. You're looking, you know, you're spending a lot of money on a Mercedes Benz. So you, you want to be able to say, well, yeah, I could drive from, you know, L.A. to San Francisco and only stop once or whatever. Um, I, you know, I'm still a little disappointed that, um, that Mercedes is uh, still on the 400-volt system. So, you know, it's, I think it's... 200 kilowatts, I think, is the charge rate. Uh, if it was 800, you know, they could go up to 350 and really sort of, like, really hammer in that 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 uh, that luxury and convenience of having a Mercedes. But you know, the EQS is a great car. I I drove it in Sweden, not Sweden, Switzerland. Um, <laughs> I, I got around. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the EQE, I think it's going to be. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially the E-Class. Instead of having the lift gate, the large sort of fastback lift gate, it just has a, it has a proper trunk. So if you're into trunks, the EQE is, uh, is your jam. Uh, what else happened? I'm trying to think of all the... I had to shoot a lot of video. So <laughs> there was what, one more. What about the, um, the BMW concept? The, um, oh, the circular. Uh, what do you call it? The yeah, the iVision circular. circular. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's... It's interesting. I think it's something that every automaker needs to start thinking about when it comes to recycling. Because you can say, "Oh, this car is 100%, re you know, recyclable," but you have all these materials that are like weaves and mixtures. And when you do that, now you have to you create a whole other issue because you have to essentially pull those materials apart in some way in order to recycle them. And what uh, BMW is saying, like, "Oh, it's all mono materials. So you know, this is just this. You know the." Um, whatever the door panel is made out of is made out of one material, so it's it's easier to recycle. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's 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 something that uh, automakers should be thinking about because you you can say that your car is you know has has great uh, EV range and it's very green, and you can say that your factories are are, are powered by you know the rain and and rainbows and wind and the sun. But if the actual vehicle itself becomes a bit of a, a, a challenge to, to either to, to recycle, then you're, you're, yeah, it's like you're almost there and you blew it at the end. This close. This close. Missed it by that yeah. much. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else did we have here? Oh, uh, speaking of EVs and long range, um, Lucid. Uh, I think by the time by the time this shows out, it should actually be official uh, tomorrow. Uh, but the Lucid Air <clears throat> is going to have a, a, the um, the the maximum range version, which I think is the not the Dream Edition, but the the Grand Touring. It's going to have an official EPA range of 520 miles, by far and away the longest of anything on there out, out on the road. Um, and you know, these are going to be going into, into full production in the next couple of months, uh, is the plan. Um, the, you know, this thing has a, a 118 kilowatt hour battery pack, which they're apparently using 113 kilowatt hours. So it's, it's a bigger pack than anything, you know, the t biggest Teslas have a hundred kilowatt hour pack. Um, and you've, you've sat in the, in the, uh, the Lucid Air. Uh, Robbie, I, I sat in one several years ago when they first unveiled it. Um, yeah, this, this 520 miles is really impressive number, uh, for, uh, for the driving range. And, you know, it's also, it, 
very efficient. You know, I think I don't have the the numbers right at hand for the efficiency, but um, it actually works out to be about seventeen percent more energy efficient than the most efficient Model S, uh, which is you know you were talking earlier about um, Tesla having better efficiency than anybody else. You know this thing takes it you know raises the bar even more, which is going to be. Interesting, you know, comparing against cars like the EQE and the EQS, uh, but also, you know, stuff that's coming from GM, uh, the, you know, the uh, um, the Hummer uh, is, you know, that thing is going to have a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack and is going to have somewhere between 300 and 350 miles of range. And um, you know, this has got the same amount as a Sherman tank, but also, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Maybe, maybe slightly more, I think, than the tank. Slightly but, more, possibly. Um, yeah. But they, you know, the, the Lucid, uh, you know, 520 miles from 118 or 113 kilowatt hours is a really impressive number. So um, hopefully we'll get a chance to, to drive these sometime in the next few months and, and see what it's really like and see what kind of range it actually gets in the real world. Uh, but you know, with that, you know, if you can get 500 miles, I mean, you're talking, you can easily go LA to, uh, San Francisco without stopping and beyond. Uh, and I think motor trend actually, <clears throat> yeah, Mo- motor trend actually did that. They actually did a, um, they, they got a, an exclusive first drive in the air. They did something, they did some kind of program with lucid and, uh, I think they went, um, with one of the versions of the air, they went, like well over 460 miles, so, so uh, it's not not too shabby. I was uh, part of that. That it was, uh, I think it was Motor Trend, Bloomberg, and Car and Driver. This is when I was at Car and Driver, and it was a ride along. And in my ride along, we okay. got 458 miles from the prototype vehicle, and so which, which meant I was sitting in a car for in the back seat of a car. Oh my and god! They, and with with a mask on, and we they put up a we they put up a, a like a plexiglass screen because it was like it was last year it was last august so it was right in the middle of covid and they're like do you want to do this and i'm like and i, I was like well what are we gonna and you know covid <laughs> if restriction. i have to <laughs> and it was yeah 458 miles and at that time they were they were targeting 517 so the fact that they're getting 520 is is uh is great and you know they are you know the lucid team is essentially um it's a <laughs> Almost all former Tesla employees. It's all people who know how to make an efficient. You know, it's it's the you know the head engineer is is uh, 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 Peter Rawlinson. He was the he, he was the guy who created the Model S essentially, and so now he's yeah. he's, he's the CEO of, of Lucid, and he has all these engineers over there. And I you know I, I've gone and I've talked to them, and they are they are very much like well we're not really. We we want to have the most efficient vehicle on the road, and they 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 strive to really really get an efficient vehicle. Like their their power their their motor is like really tiny and efficient, and everything they're doing over there is is sort of it's very impressive. You know they they were the battery people before they you know for um, uh, was it Formula E um, as a different yeah. name I forget what the name is. Um, but yeah, no, Ativa. Ativa, yeah. So it's it's you know so they have the sort of the battery technology. They they you know they they have years and years of battery technology under their belt. You have a bunch of former Tesla employees over there, Tesla engineers who are who are more than happy to sort of uh, uh, you know destroy Tesla's lead as the, the 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 king of range. And I'm sure 
uh, once uh, Elon sees this news, he is not going to be happy about the idea that they are being he is being bested by his former employees, and so it'll it, it'll it, you know it starts a, a bit of a range war, which is good for everyone. It's good for us because you know a yeah, it's good for us, right? <laughs> yeah, a five hundred twenty mile vehicle, a five hundred twenty mile range vehicle means that everyone is now on notice. You know, like you have to like really bring it. You need to be better at your, you know, you need better efficiency from your from your motors. You need better efficiency from your from your uh, battery pack. You really have to make a vehicle that 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 at least gets close to that. And then that trickles down to the cars that the rest of us can drive. Um, but I, I did sit in the back. Yeah, well, the, the important. Oh, I sat. This, so this the car oh, I drove in was like it was sort of you know it was it was it was a beta test car. It was a mule. Um, but I have sat in the back of a near near production vehicle with like most of the the the, the fanciness that that the Lucid Air. And it's very comfortable. It's a very fancy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very nice inside. Yeah, well, what I was going to say was the you know the important thing about these efficiency gains that they're getting. You know, I mean, this is a a pretty good sized car, uh, and. You know, if you can get that kind of efficiency out of such a large car with you know a pretty large battery pack, if you can then take that and translate that into you know something you know that is more mainstream, you know, and take you know take that battery you know take half of that battery pack size you know take a hundred you know take sixty kilowatt hours, you know now you can have you know really good range and because if you cut that battery in half. Um, you know, you've taken a significant amount of weight out of the car, so that adds to the that builds on the efficiency even more. So you can start to get, you know, much more affordable cars w- that still have, you know, close to 300 miles of range. And you know, in that 250 to 300 mile um, range, you know, range area, if you can if you can get that, I mean, that's realistically that's good enough for pretty much everybody. You know, oh, yeah. very few people really need more range than that. So I think, you know, that's this is a good sign. You know, hopefully we'll see this this technology trickling down uh, into more affordable vehicles over the next few years. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, if you, yeah if, you, if you cut it in half, but, you know, the car's going to be smaller. The battery pack's going to be smaller. So you're losing all this weight. You know, you're talking like you know, it's 270 if you cut it in half. But then you take into account all the weight savings that you're getting. You're talking about 320? Probably from a smaller mm-hmm. like car yeah, that's easily. not fancy, which I mean, is impressive. I know, yeah. and no one needs the range for the most part. None of us need those huge range numbers anyway. It's for the the odd road trip, you know. Most of the time, we'd be fine with far less. So, yeah, we don't. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we don't really go anywhere. We don't really need. I mean, how many to people be, are driving? What did you say? Four to fifty-eight miles in a day. Not, not yeah. most of us. I'm driving 400. Yeah, that's a long. Again, 458. That's a long miles. day if that's your average day. It was driving. a long day, and they're like, "You sure you want?" You're like, "You're cool with this." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, we're cool." So we did this long, huge loop, and we stopped, and, and I talked to 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 the CEO, and and, uh, and then we just did this other long loop until the evening, and then I was uh, done, and then I was very tired, and I went home. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "I'm out. I'm out." Yeah. Um, speaking of new EV manufacturers, there's another one that has actually just today, as we're recording, um, rolled their first regular customer production vehicle off their assembly line, and that's Rivian. Um, you know, we've been hearing about Rivian for a few years now. They, they finally are ready to um, put their vehicle in production. Theirs, theirs is not quite as efficient as the Lucid, um, 
I think, uh, let's see, what was it? It was, there's, uh, they have a pickup truck. It's a midsize pickup truck, so it's closer in size to like a Ford Ranger uh, or a Chevy Colorado than to an F-150 or Silverado. Um, it gets 314 miles of range from a 135 kilowatt hour battery pack. Uh, but you know, it's also not quite as aerodynamic as, uh, as a lucid air. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pickup truck. It's a big blocky truck, you know, so you're, you, this is what you should expect from something like that. Um, but the, uh, the launch edition, uh, Rivian R1Ts will be going to customers probably in the next week or two. The first ones will be delivered. Um, but one thing those customers won't get is the tank turn feature that we saw in some of uh, Rivian's videos that they put out last year. Um, so, you, Robbie, you were mentioning that the G-Wagon has four, four motors on there, one for each wheel. Um, Rivian is doing the same thing. They've got a four-motor setup. Um and you can control them all independently. And they put Rivian put out a, a video from their testing. <clears throat> it was either earlier this year or last year, uh, showing what they call tank turn. Because you know, with with actual tanks, because they're on tracks, you know, you can you can run the tracks in opposite directions uh, and literally turn on its own axis. And you can do the same thing with the Rivian R1T. You can run the wheels on one side forward and run the wheels on the other side in reverse and turn, you know, 360 degrees on it, on its own axis. Um, but that feature is not going to be available at launch. Uh, and it's possible it may not ever actually make it into production. Um, and Rivian explained to, uh, uh, Motor Trend that the reason why is it turns out to actually be a lot harder to do safely than you might think. Um, if you're on if you're on level ground, you know, with a uniform surface, it's pretty straightforward. You just, you know, put your, you know, put the wheels on one side going forward, the wheels on the other side in reverse, and no problem. But if you're on any kind of slope or there's any difference in the surface that they're on, um, things can get hairy really fast. You know, if you're on a little bit of a on an angle, uh, or and you've got you know suddenly one wheel catches uh, more grip than the other three wheels, the whole thing can just shoot off in some random direction, oh, um, God, and that, would uh, that 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 would not be good. So it turns out to be a really really hard control. I would problem. I would love to have so, seen the testing for this in which they discovered that it was harder to do this than they thought. Like somewhere there's yeah. got to be random videos of a Rivian very nicely doing the turn like wrong direction. <laughs> You, you, yeah. you know what's funny is that they, they showed that in a video, and um, I, I was talking to them. And they're like, "Yeah, we didn't. It was just like a thing we did, and we didn't realize people would be excited about it." And they didn't seem very excited about the idea of like giving it to customers. <laughs> I think it was just one of like, <laughs> "Hey, look what we can do!" Not realizing the customers are like, "Well, look what it can do." This should be the thing that I yeah. should be able to do this when I get my This is the feature that is going to make me buy this I'm, vehicle. Oops. I'm never going to use this. Um, but I could at some point, and yeah, I think I think it was it was one of those things where the, not understanding that when people see something, um, they automatically want the thing. They want it, even if they'll yeah. never use it, even never if need it, never use it. And I think they, <coughs> I think I, I I don't think it's ever gonna, and, and I don't think it's ever gonna come to to, to fruition, or it's Aww. gonna be on like some special edition, or I don't know. It seems. 
it, again, it, it's cool to see, but like, you know, Sam said, it seems very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Like, it could kill us all, but let's go yeah. with it. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. <laughs> well, we've been... We've got lots of other things that can kill us, you know, on the road. So that's you know, true. Why not? Yeah. Just add that yeah. to the list. Just add it to Tank the, the, turn. the yeah. growing list of, 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 of things you should be of deadly features about. on our cars. Deadly <laughs> features on our cars. You know, if you get big 5,000 5, pound sedans that go from zero to 60 in two seconds, you know, it, yeah. I think that's, that's just as dangerous. That's not dangerous, dangerous you know. at all. That's no. totally fine. It's totally fine. Cool. Just a giant fine, rocket. Essentially a comet. <laughs> But you're good. Yeah. You've got a seatbelt. A comet. an airbag. Everyone's showing off their comet. <laughs> their comet. Show off your comet. What could comet. possibly go wrong? <sighs> what could possibly go wrong with that? I guess everything, every time we've ever uh, seen a, uh, the end of a Cars and Coffee, we can see what goes wrong. Exactly. With yeah. Every, every time you see a, a Mustang spinning out, coming out of a Cars and Coffee lot. And then slamming. Uh, okay. Um, finally, um, Last item I've got before we head in, had some uh, listener questions uh, is uh, GM. Uh, well, actually, GM didn't actually announce this. Uh, there's a LiDAR company based in San Jose called Septon. Um, who, and I, I first met these guys at CES, I don't know, three years ago, three or four years ago. Um, and they've got a kind of an interesting LIDAR sensor, you know, the way they do their beam steering system. They've got something um, they call micro-motion technology. Um, basically, they're using something like a, a speaker driver uh, to vibrate the, the steering mechanism um, to steer the laser beam to, to scan across the, the field of view. Well, anyway, um, earlier this week, Septon filed their... Uh, S4 form with the SEC, which is the form that you got to file if you're going to do a merger with a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, which, you know, we've had all kinds of, you know, private, privately held, you know, startups that have gone public through mergers with these uh, SPACs over the last year and a half. Um, And um, uh, the latest is Septon. They're they're planning to go public uh, at a valuation of about one and a half billion dollars. But one of the little details that was buried in the middle of this hundred and fifty odd page um, uh, filing with the SEC was they acknowledged that they they have their first production program with General Motors. Now you know I talked to Septon from time to time, and they actually told me several months ago that they they had a production design win with a top five global automaker, but they wouldn't say who it was. Um, I had my suspicions that it was probably GM for Ultra Cruise, but they've now confirmed that that it, it will be coming in 2023 on the as part of the GM Ultra Cruise system, which is the the next generation beyond Super Cruise. So this is. We don't know exactly what functionality it's going to have. Um, Mark Royce, the um, head of product development at GM, has said that you know it'll have uh, the ability to do some automated driving capability on city streets. Um, again, you know we don't know exactly under what conditions you know or where it'll be able to do that, uh, but. Um, it's it's coming in 2023, and it will have uh, a lidar sensor built in there from Septon. Um, so that that, that, that was kind of cool. Um, Septon. It sounds like the future. Yeah. It does sound sort of yeah, future. Yeah. Exactly. Septon. Uh, 
so we've got a bunch of listener questions that came into the email. So in addition to our uh, our Twitter, you can also send us um, listener. You can send us questions uh, by email at feedback at uh, at wheelbearings.media. Uh, and um, I went through the uh, the inbox today and caught some emails that came on in over the last couple of weeks that I hadn't been paying attention to, unfortunately. Uh, so. I'm going to start off with the, the first one uh, from Michael R. Burns. And this is, this is actually kind of a long email, and there's a bunch of questions in here. So I'm going to throw them at you a bit at a time. Um, so here are uh, Michael's questions, uh, starting with um, the Volvo XC40 Recharge test drive, uh, which you referenced earlier, Robbie. Um, the vegan interior, does it feel just like the VW Leatherette, or is it more like the waterproof, outdoorsy interior of a Subaru? Did you feel like you were getting less for your money than a traditional cloth or leather interior? It does not feel cheap. It feels nice. Um, it does not feel leatherette. It doesn't have that weird plasticky leatherette feel that you, you sometimes get where you're like, well, why, why did you even get this? Why did you even give me this? So, you know, it feels very nice. It feels, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the issue with, it's not an issue. What Volvo wants is they're, you know their cars are, are a bit more expensive. I mean the than than the other EVs, and they, it's a it's a premium luxury vehicle, and that's what they're selling. And so they you know they want to make sure that when you get inside that vehicle, you feel like you're in a premium luxury vehicle. It's yeah. So no, it doesn't feel cheap at all. I don't feel like I was getting. Uh, if I were to buy it, I wouldn't feel like I was getting uh, scammed by the word vegan interior. Okay. Yeah, and you know, there's other other vehicles, increasing number of vehicles now that have vegan interiors. You know, they're non-leather uh, interiors. I think you know the the Mustang Mach E. Uh, you know, they call their material Active X, uh, which I think is you know is all. It it also doesn't have a plasticky feel to it. It you know it's not it's not like a real supple Napa leather or you know some really high end yeah. leather like you'd find in a Bentley or Mercedes. Uh, but it, it feels nice. It's a nice feeling material. It, it's fairly soft and supple. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of these modern materials that they're coming up with are, are quite interesting. Yeah, um, a lot of other companies, like, they, they partner next. with other companies to get these nice these nice uh, materials in the car. So it's not just, like, Volvo, like, figuring it out. They have they partner with a company that's, that's their sole job is to make, you know, high-end materials out of, like, just random crap that we throw away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, he, Michael also had a question about the Android automotive experience. Did you have any issues with latency versus other touchscreen infotainment systems? Any crashes? Any lockups? Um, and actually, um, Nicole, you could also uh, touch in on touch on this because the um, the Polestar also has this the Android automotive uh, infotainment system. It's on a bigger screen than what's in the in the XC40. But it's basically the same system. So, did either of you notice any issues with latency or other uh, other issues with it? I didn't. I didn't experience any issues, and it was. It, in fact, it was really quick. I, I, I thought that the response was really good, and you know, just using the touchscreen, pinching and zooming, like, okay, I want to see. We were, we actually got turned around in a little mountain area, and we're, it was trying, like, let's wait a minute, where are we? Let's let's open this up a little bit wider and see where we are. And it was very responsive, even just trying to, to move it around to find out where we were in relation to where we were going. Um, I didn't have any issues with it crashing or any lockups or anything like that. It was it was a pretty seamless experience. 
So I was pleased with it. I didn't have any issues. Robbie? I had zero issues with it. Um, it I, I think a lot of it comes down to like Google and Volvo work really hard to make this work really well. It's the first Android automotive vehicle. Um, it is a lot, you know, there's a lot of Google, you know, a lot of Google in there, you know, where some automakers are going to try to like sort of hide Android automotive. Uh, uh, Volvo and Google decided, you know, kind of put it up front. Like you can say, hey, you know, the word, I, I've gotten in trouble for saying, uh, hey, and then the wake word uh, on, on podcasts and on videos before. So I'm not going to say it, but you know what it is. You know, hey, <laughs> G. Company. Hey, Guillermo. <laughs> hey, Guillermo. Uh, <laughs> hey, Guillermo. Um, and it, it's, it, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't have any issues. It was quick. Um, I do wish that there were more uh, apps in the Google Play Store, um, especially when it comes to EVs. Uh, I think the only thing that was in there was a uh, charge point, um, like EA wasn't in there at the time, Electri America, um, they might be in there now, I'm not sure, because I know that they, they recently uh, started making it available on, on um, Android Auto and on CarPlay, so it might be available now in uh, Android Automotive, I'm, I'm not sure, but the, the ability to sort of download apps was, was pretty great, but I, I wish that there were more there are more more than uh, music and media apps. That's what's that's essentially what sort of fills up that uh, that you know a lot of Stitcher and NPR and just anything that's music or podcast related. They're all in there. Yeah, I think I think we will be seeing more apps coming to the store. Um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of the the you know things like games and so on that you get on mobile devices are not necessarily suitable for running um you know on the vehicle screen but um i think we will i think we will see more more stuff coming uh over the next year or so especially as more oems start launching their android automotive systems um gm is bringing their first ones out uh in fact uh just uh last week i think uh Chevy um, revealed details of the uh, the 2022 Silverado refresh, um, and it's going to be getting an Android Automotive based infotainment system, um, along with the the 2022 Sierra, uh, GMC Sierra, uh, and um, the new EVs, starting with the Hummer and the Lyric, that are all getting this system. So I think as more more vehicles have this platform in there, uh, you're going to see more developers making their apps available to. Uh, to download uh, through the the Google Play Store on those vehicles. Um, let's see. The uh, if you're using Android Auto um, or in the future Apple CarPlay, does it take over the whole screen or only a portion of it? Example: uh, Will it be like CarPlay in his 2018 uh, Ram 1500 Quad Cab, where the screen is occupied by the projection? and a toggle between phone or app menu and the major categories like radio and climate etc so does it take up the whole screen or i think it i think it only uses half the screen like it does with the current <laughs> volvo census system right yeah I, I i i think so it's not available yet still carplay is still not it's still coming i talked to volvo about this i asked about yeah. what's what's the deal with carplay and they said it is coming. There will be an over, there will be an update coming. Uh, but I, I assume that's going to because CarPlay is really built uh, is really built around a landscape um, uh, orientated uh, screen. And uh, in the Volvo, it is a portrait screen. So I'm sure there's going to be, you know, the the your 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 CarPlay or your Android Auto. 
which I'm not even sure why you would use Android Auto at this point in, the, in this vehicle because everything you kind of want is, is there, really. Um, but you will, uh, you know, I, I'm... I don't think Android or CarPlay is going to be work well as a portrait mode. So you'll you'll get that landscape, CarPlay, and then underneath it or below or above it will have you know access to other um, items that are in the uh, in the uh, the infotainment system, like Census right. before. Uh, yeah. What about the uh, the dog friendliness of the cargo area? Did the dog we hear in the show get a ride in the recharge? Uh, I think that was Bowie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if so, what size and breed is he? Uh, and did he fit comfortably in that cargo area, or did the sloped window cut down too much on the height? Um, Michael has a Greyhound and a compact SUV like the Jeep Cherokee makes him hunker over like he's Gargamel in a Smurf, conven- <laughs> in a Smurf convenience store. It's a great description. Um, it is a great description. I actually, um, because there, uh, a lot of the automakers ask me not to put my animals in the car. <laughs> so Bowie is a German <laughs> Shepherd. Um, he's, so he's a big dog is like a hundred pounds of goofiness, uh, who looks terrifying to anyone who comes near our house, but is actually quite nice. Um, the dog friendliness of the cargo area. Um, trying to think if he would fit back there. I'm sure he would. I mean, being back towards the, the very back would, uh, would probably make him hunch over. Um, typically what we do in the, uh, in our, um, our Kona is we just leave the back seat up. We don't put it down. And then the dogs just sit in the back seat because you get a little bit more height. And I think it's probably about the same sort of situation. The compact SUVs, when it comes to dog, if you have a, you know, a large dog and you try to put them, you put the seats down. And so now you're losing some, some, some headroom, I guess you would dog room. Um, it would probably fit, but I think for a Greyhound, you're probably going to end up more likely um, having it with the seat up like we do with Bowie. Um, Nico, our other dog, who's essentially like a miniature German Shepherd, um, she, she would fit fine. She's, she's about 40% of Bowie's size. <laughs> uh, okay. Next, uh, Michael's next batch of questions here go off in a completely different direction uh, regarding EV regulations and tax benefits. Uh, there was a story this past week about how the U.S. gets it wrong with doing tax credits versus direct discounts. European countries give the break at the time of purchase, which seems to be helping with EV adoption. Uh, what legislation at the federal level is underway to push the EV tax credit to the moment of purchase rather than April 15th the next year? Are any manufacturers looking at enticing buyers with a discount on the, on the car if you agree to forward the tax credit in the next year to the dealership? Um, so... Right, you know, there there had been some proposals to transform the the EV incentives um, from a tax credit situation to a point of sale rebate, uh, but so far nothing like that has been introduced in Congress. You know, Congress would have to make that change, and what they have introduced, uh, I think. It, Earlier this week, um, there was a bill introduced to, or actually it was last week, uh, to change the EV incentive system, uh, which had a a number of changes um, that included also providing additional incentives for U.S. built EVs and for uh, even more for EVs built in UAW plants. uh, And Honda and Toyota are very uh, upset about that. But um, we'll see whether or not EVs, that actually gets passed. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Honda is going to be getting its first two EVs from GM, um, at least one of which will be built uh, in a UAW plant. So that that vehicle will be eligible. Um, but the the other thing that they did change is uh, the current tax credits. Uh, it's not a fully refundable tax credit. So, you know, it's seventy five hundred dollars. But if your tax bill is only say four thousand dollars, then all you're going to get is the four thousand dollars. You can only get a a, a re- credit for up to whatever your your tax uh, your tax bill you is. You can't make money. The, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so the, one of the things in this bill is it would be a fully refundable credit. So regardless of how much your your tax bill is, you would get the full amount of the incentive back. So, you know, potentially if they pass the whole thing with the, the UAW, uh, you know, with the union-built, American-built vehicles, uh, and you bought, um, you know, an F-150 built in Dearborn um, or uh, a Hummer built in, uh, in Detroit, uh, you would potentially get up to twelve and a half thousand dollars back, uh, and you would get wow. that back in full. There is also an income limit tied with that. So, um, you know, if you make over a certain income, then that would be phased out. You would you would not get that amount, which I I personally think is a good thing. But right now, there's no unfortunately no moves in the U.S. to switch that to a a, a point of sale rebate, which. I think would actually be an even bigger benefit to people because most consumers, when they go looking for a car, you know, part of their purchase decision is what is my monthly payment going to be? You know, because they, you know, people have a budget that they can work Mm -hmm. with. They know they can spend $300 a month or $400 a month or $200 a month on their, on their car payment. And, you know, if you're looking at a $40,000 vehicle, and you're going to get $7,500 back next year, you've got to finance, you know, say you put $5,000 on it, you've got to finance $35,000, and that's what your monthly payment's going to be based on, not $32,000. Know, right. yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it would be better for people if they could do that. It would also be, I think, a lot harder to administer a system like that. But this is one of the reasons why a lot of people lease their EVs rather than ding, buy ding, ding, ding. because um, yeah <laughs> because know you know you mentioned you know, Michael mentions you know um, our manufacturers looking at enticing buyers with the discount if they agree to forward the tax credit you, you can't really do that but if you lease you are technically doing that because mm-hmm. when you lease it's actually the you know whoever is financing the lease whether it's you know GM Financial or Ford Credit or you know whatever. Uh, bank is actually handling the lease. They technically are the purchaser of the vehicle. They get the tax credit, and then that gets factored into your lease payment. So that's why when you look at leasing an EV, the payments are often so much less than they are if you're buying and, and you know taking out a loan to buy the car, because that that tax credit is built into the lease payment. So yeah. uh, if you know that's that's probably the best way to go right now. Yeah, when we when we that was another reason why we we leased is because you look at it and you're like, okay, this is how much the car is, and now we're gonna add like your seventy five hundred, and then the fifteen hundred for California, and then there's some other credit that I don't, um, and you know, so now your car only costs this much, and now we're gonna now we're gonna set the lease up based on your three years and however many miles, et cetera, that you want to pay on this lease for this vehicle. So, 
you 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 kind you you kind of get the money off the bat with the lease. But of course, in three years, you know, I don't have anything to show for it. I don't have a car anymore. But at the right. same time, I mean, at the end of the day, when you get rid of the car, you don't have anything to show for it. <laughs> and at that point, so, one way or the other, you will have nothing. One to way show or the other. So yeah, so we're we're, we're saving money monthly. Uh, we have a you know we have an EV. Um, any battery degradation isn't our problem after three years. <laughs> and then uh, as battery, you know, as battery technology progresses, um, we'll be, you know, we'll be able to say, hey, you know, 258, you know, miles from this 60 something, I think 68 kilowatt hour battery. Well, now they can get it from a 30 kilowatt hour battery. And now that, you know, these cars are, are, are far more efficient and they're far more, you know, you get either more miles or you get a lighter car, which, you know, includes more miles. So, yeah. And then, of course, the... Uh, the, the big thing is that eventually the the uh, the ID Buzz will be available in America, and we'll see how that works out for us. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't who doesn't want a sweet micro bus EV? Exactly. All right. Um, Larry Bailey asks, uh, I'm one of the many that pre-ordered a Ford Maverick Hybrid, but what I'm seeing now online uh, is Ford is only building Mavericks with the 2-liter EcoBoost engine. Have you heard anything about this? So, yeah, there were some some reports online that Ford was building only the 2-liter Mavericks. Um, Mike Levine, who's the uh, head of Ford Product Communications, um, responded to that on Twitter a few days ago and said, no, they are building uh, hybrids. Um, I think I think what, you know, we'll probably see, you know, what and what is typical for any new product launch, anytime a manufacturer launches a, a, a new vehicle, is they always front load it with the more premium models because those are the customers that are, you know, often, you know, more, more, most willing to buy, most enthusiastic to buy right away, and so they want to get the the maximum profit margins on those vehicles up front. Um, but you know they also do build the base models and you know the lower trim levels. They just don't build as many of them. But uh, Mike said that they are building hybrids uh, right now, and they will be available from day one uh, when the when the Maverick goes on sale. I think sometime in October. Um, so they are, they are coming, you, you know, part of the problem I think, um, right now as well is that, you know, the hybrids might also be more impacted by the chip shortage, um, because with the, the, the electric system in there, you know, it's going to have more controls. So there might be some impact there, which might limit some of the availability, but they are building them as much, at least as much as they can. Uh, okay. Dave Marsh. Uh, asks, and he said, uh, two thoughts came to mind from a recent podcast. One was regarding towing. One thing to keep in mind is that the EU market has more liberal tow ratings than the U.S. Uh, my experience has been that vehicles here with, little, with low or no tow ratings are rated to pull moderate loads over there. Example, my Mazda 5 has no tow rating here, but is rated for 1,500 pounds in Europe. Um, so let's address that one first. Um, any any thoughts on why uh, you know some of the vehicles that don't have tow ratings here do have them in in Europe? I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'm curious if you guys have an answer. I don't know what the the answer is, but I again I like to tell the story about the last time I was in, no the time before last I was in Germany and there was a Subaru Legacy wagon towing a horse trailer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Actually, earlier today, I saw somebody uh, posted a, a video. I think it was from TikTok. Uh, I put it in our Slack. I don't know if you guys saw it. Of uh, uh, They were driving along, and they saw a camper, a trailer, um, being towed behind a Ford Expedition, which itself was being towed behind an old Buick uh, LeSabre. Um, huh? And the, between the LeSabre <laughs> and the, the Expedition was not a tow bar, but a tow strap. And, and the Buick was like packed full of stuff. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Oh my gosh. Wait, um, wait, wait, was there someone in yeah, the it's, it's amazing. Was there someone driving uh, the Ford? No. Because at some point, they have to slow I, down. Mm-hmm. You think. Did, someone has to be in that Ford. Uh, maybe there was somebody in the Ford. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I couldn't see. Um, but, um, you know, it, people, people will do strange things sometimes, uh, very unsafe <laughs> things sometimes with towing. Uh, we do not recommend that. No, yeah. Um, you know, we, we recommend that you follow the, uh, the manufacturer's directions. And if your vehicle is not rated for towing, please don't tow. Um, you know, I, I have had a vehicle in the past that was not rated for towing, but I had a tow hitch on it, but only to use, uh, for a bike rack for a hitch mounted bike rack. Um, so I think, uh, you know, part of the problem is here in the, you know, in the U S uh, you know, there's greater concerns with product liability, um, you know, with lawsuits. And so I think when it comes to things like towing, um, especially with certain types of vehicles, manufacturers tend to be uh, a little more conservative uh, with the tow ratings. You know. And, you know, there, there's also the business side of it. You know, they would prefer that if you want to tow that you buy something that's a little bigger and a little more expensive, you know, and maybe better suited for towing. So, you know, instead of buying a small car or a minivan uh, to tow your, your little pop-up trailer, uh, you know, they would prefer that you buy a bigger SUV or a pickup truck to do it. Uh, so I think, I think those are a couple of different factors that play in there. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. Uh, in Germany, you see a lot of small cars towing a lot of stuff and you're just like, huh, all right. <laughs> yeah. You do see cars yeah. that are very small towing things that you would never see them. Cars that would not even remotely be considering towing in the U.S. Yeah. Hmm. In Europe, they're like, whatever, yeah. we got this. What is yeah, that, a boat? Good, oh, I saw someone control. towing a boat with something. Oh, what was it? Something small. Was it a golf? I think that's... <laughs> towing a boat? A boat. Like a proper boat. Not like a little like tiny boat, but like a boat. And I was like, what is happening oh in this God. on this continent? But they were like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening on this continent? What is happening on this continent? Well, you know, I mean, you know the, other, the other thing that helps, you know, at least until relatively recently, you know, diesel engines were a lot more popular there. So, you know, those oh, engines, yeah. you know, are a lot better suited for towing. All that torque. Uh, especially, you know... Yeah, in Germany, you know, diesel diesels are great for towing, and you know they they were never as popular here. You know, with with small gas engines, you definitely a lot of times don't really want to be towing. Um, and then the other thing that uh, Dave Marsh asked was about uh, our comments about EV range efficiency, which we talked about earlier. It strikes me that the cast um, applied the uh, experience and reasoning from internal combustion efficiency curves to EV drivetrains. As you know, ICE engines are tuned for cruising operation loads. Uh, not full beans. At full beans, the ICE sacrifices efficiency for power. Uh, example, they run rich at full output, not to mention all the friction and rotational losses that build at higher RPM. The electric motor tends to hit peak efficiency at full load and higher rotation uh, speeds. I get, that high, I get that high current flow 
makes more heat in the electronics, but, but, but does pedal behavior, especially considering regen benefits, make that big a difference in overall efficiency? If so, what are the big drivers here? Um, so, yes, actually, your behavior does have a huge impact on efficiency. It may, it may be a little bit less than what it is for you know, a lot of internal combustion engines, um, but it, it does, you know, putting a lot more load on, a, on an electric powertrain does make a big difference in your efficiency. Um, if you're lead footing it all the time, you will see your range drop, a, drop off a lot. Um, you know, you, you get heat building up, uh, but you also get, um, uh, you know, more friction uh, from tires, more aerodynamic drag. Um, and motors, you know, may have their peak efficiency, um, you know, not at, at zero speed, uh, but it's also usually not at full load either. It's usually somewhere in between. Uh, the peak efficiency of most motors is probably somewhere in the, you know, 50 to 60% load range um, and uh, lower rotational speeds. If you, if you look at the efficiency curves for an electric motor, it usually will start to drop off as you get high, at, up to higher and higher speeds. And, you know, those motors are also pulling through a gearbox. You know, it's, it's a simple reduction gearbox. It's not a, as complex a transmission as you have with an engine. But you do, you're going to get losses through that as well. And, you know, the faster that's running, you know, those gears are running through lubricant. Um, that's also going to put more, uh, you know, create more friction. So, yeah, there, there is definitely a drop-off in efficiency uh, at, with, if you drive an EV more aggressively. I, uh, you know, Jim Manhart asks. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that after whenever I have an EV uh, in for review, and then I go and I drive a, a gas car, a gas-powered ICE, um, I'm always a little irritated that every time I take my foot off the accelerator, I'm not like building and you know I'm not like <laughs> not getting somehow regen. yeah I'm not I'm, I'm not somehow creating more gasoline to put back into the engine I'm like well this is just inefficient what's going on here I'm just losing gas yeah. I'm breaking I'm, I'm getting nothing I'm just wasting gas I'm not getting anything this is a waste why I'm, am I even all breaking? I'm doing is heating up the air around my brakes <laughs> exactly I'm not doing anything yeah so yeah actually re regen I didn't mention regen but yeah regen does have a, a big impact and you know the the more regen your vehicle and EV is set up for that will help to restore some of that efficiency. So you do get a lot back from, from strong regen systems. So, you know, if you've got an EV that's got, you know, it lets you select one pedal driving mode, use it. Take advantage of it. Um, you'll, you'll benefit in terms of range. Um, Jim Manhart actually has more of a comment than a question. Uh, in a recent podcast, he says, uh, I referred to uh, the BMW grill as kidneys. I don't think you can use kidney to describe them anymore. Uh, that's, you know, that's the traditional descriptor for the BMW grill design is the twin kidneys. Um, I don't think you can use kidney to describe them anymore. I think we have to switch to calling them beaver teeth. <laughs> I keep saying they look what, like beaver teeth on the new ones. They do, they I've do, said so. that. They look yeah. like little, little buck teeth. They're very, very large. Big, big buck teeth. They're pronounced. They're pronounced. Yes. They're the IX, they're very, very large. I can say that. I can say that the IX uh, is very large. Yes, because teeth. we can see that. We can all see it. See yeah. it. <laughs> we can all see the very yeah. large teeth. We all teeth. see it. <laughs> Exceptionally large beaver teeth. Yeah. Um, okay. We do have a, a couple of other ones, uh, quick ones that came in uh, on Twitter. Uh, Coach Cabrera asks, um, I own a 1984 uh, Nissan 300Z, not a turbo. 
Um, where is the best place to look to find the blue book value? Most appraisal sites don't go back that far. Yeah, I think like Edmonds and KBB only go back to about 1990. I don't know. Do you, do you guys know where you can find? You can look on Bring a Trailer, and if that car has been sold or, or multiple versions of that vehicle have been sold, you can sort of track like what they're selling at. Now, now of course, Bring a Trailer is usually you know the car is is in good shape. You're, you know it's 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 good condition or excellent condition. That's that's sort of the the whole deal with Bring a Trailer. But um, 1984, I think the prices on that probably are going to keep rising because uh, the Radwood. A phenomenon you know everyone you know all the gen x all of us are we're getting old and now we all want to buy the old cars that we had when we were kids so we're like we're ready to throw down some of our hard-earned cash and bust into our 401ks to buy a 1990 honda civic dx okay you know where you can find some good values <laughs> on old cars not red book the magazine red book but red book there's a red book that's a that's a car valuation site that does car values um, the town clerks used to use them years ago when they were trying to figure out how much back in the days before you had, um, you know, a computer that would tell you exactly how much your car was worth to determine how much to charge you when you register your car in certain towns. And Redbook has values. Redbook values, as I remember, and I haven't looked it up online. You might have to do some Google foo, but, um, they give values back very, very far for cars, um, to give you an idea of what cars are worth. So there you go. Okay. Oh, you know what I just remembered as well? Uh, Haggerty has a valuation oh, yeah. tool on their and website. They're all about old cars. If you Google Haggerty valuation tool. So for, for something like the, the Z and 84Z, um, that would probably be a good place to look that one up is on Haggerty. Um, and then one more from uh, Adam Miller um, says, why is it that some states like Indiana charge an extra fee to license hybrid and electric vehicles while the federal government is giving tax breaks on them? Uh, well, this is pretty straightforward, and I think you're going to see this in a lot more states. Um, states rely heavily on uh, fuel taxes to pay for road construction. Um, and, uh, you know, since hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles use either less or no fuel, uh, but they still put wear and tear on the roads, um, they're looking at owners of those vehicles to pay their fair share towards the cost of upkeep of the roads. And, you know, certainly, you know, we have challenges in this country with uh, infrastructure and paying for paying for road infrastructure. Um, so that fee is taking the place of what you would have otherwise probably paid in gas taxes if you were driving a, a standard internal combustion engine vehicle. Yeah. And they can't even go against the, the you know, they can't use the EA chargers and all that. Because most, it was at 80% of people charge at home. So how would they even right. like track that? They're like, well, his yeah. PG&E bill went up 12%. So what's 3% Let's of 12%? tack on something for that. Yeah. yeah how do you figure yeah. that out? Yeah. I mean, unless, unless everybody was required to have a separate meter, yeah. you know, hooked up to their, their EV chargers. Um, you know, and you did the same thing, you know, on public chargers, it would be, it would be really hard to do. So really that's, that's why they're track. doing these, these new fees. Yeah. I mean, the, the other option that some states are looking at, you know, is just uh, a vehicle miles traveled tax, um, you know, and moving away from the fuel taxes entirely. And, you know, you just, however many miles a year you drive, um, times some factor for the weight of the vehicle, um, yeah. you know, because uh, the weight of the vehicle has an impact on how much wear and tear there is on the roads that, you know, that's how much you owe in your road tax every year. Sorry, so, EV, uh, Hummer owners. 
<laughs> that thing is just going to turn up roads. This is like every road it drives on just going to oh, have I know. ruts. It's going to have ruts in it. All the way down. What, ha- <laughs> what happened? Uh, someone up the street bought a right. uh, Hummer EV. <laughs> okay. Um, that's it for the questions. Um, I did have a chance last week to talk with James uh, Kuffner, who is the CEO of Woven Planet Holdings, which is a, uh, a subsidiary of Toyota that uh, is responsible for a lot of their future mobility development, autonomous driving, connected vehicles, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to uh, tack that interview on the end here um, of the show. Uh, but before, uh, before we get to that, um, I'll say goodbye. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Fine, people of the roads. <laughs> Try to All get right, the and here's the interview cars. with here, here's the interview with James Kuffner. Talk to you next time. Hey everybody, it's Sam. Uh, today I've got a special interview that I did with James Kuffner, the CEO of Woven Planet. For those of you that aren't familiar with Woven Planet, it is a subsidiary of Toyota. And they're doing a lot of really interesting things for the parent company. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Oh, one one last thing. Uh, you will frequently hear uh, James refer to the president uh, in his comments. Um, he's referring to Akio Toyota, the president of Toyota Motor Com- Corporation. Um, and uh, that's sort of the, the, the way that uh, people are uh, executives, top executives are referred to in Japanese business culture so enjoy the interview james uh first let's start off with uh woven planet um you know for the for the people who are listening to this podcast they probably don't know what woven planet is so can you start out and explain kind of the overall philosophy and the strategy of woven planet you know as a subsidiary of toyota yeah, well, the goal of Woven Planet is really to be a bridge between the research and uh, the mass production. And that was the original uh, mission of the company when we founded it as an advanced development company between the Toyota Research Institute and Toyota Motor Corporation. Uh, and uh, since then, we've evolved. Uh, we've taken on more projects. Uh, the Woven City was announced. Uh, we've announced our software platform. And our old corporate structure wasn't sufficient. And so we ended up relaunching the company as the Woven Planet Group in January. And uh, what I see our role is, is trying to become the center of excellence for software development to complement the tradition of excellent hardware and electromechanical systems that Toyota Motor Corporation is famous for with the Toyota production system. So being able to mass produce uh, very reliable, high quality electromechanical components at scale, at low cost, uh, is something that Toyota has been building its business on. But the reality is that today's mobility requires millions of lines of code uh, and exponentially increasing complexity of features and software. And that's why new tools are needed and we need to gather uh, really excellent engineers who are skilled at software architecture and development to make the best products. So we've embarked on this big mission to uh, gather those people at Woven Planet and to help the company establish 
a full model change, as the president likes to call it, from a car company to a mobility company. So exploring all kinds of new mobility, the new technology is opening up so many new possibilities in the space, whether it's connected technologies, automated driving, electrification, and sharing. So all of these things together is what Woven Planet is trying to do with a particular emphasis on uh, gathering some of the best software engineers in the world to work together to make great products. And uh, some people have been confused at Toyota. You know, we have this mission about software first. And what that means is that you design the software and logical architectures before you design and pick the hardware components. Whereas the previous way of building cars, you choose all these hardware components and then you do four years of system integration and testing. But that doesn't scale well when you've got such complexity on the software side. And so putting in abstraction layers, designing a very good logical software architecture in advance of choosing the hardware components is the software-first approach or software-defined architectures approach that have revolutionized personal computers and smartphones. And we're trying to do that here for automotive. But some of the Toyota engineers have come to me and said, oh, I'm just a hardware guy. I don't matter anymore. And I said, no, no, that isn't at all what we're saying. What we're saying is that we need both good hardware and good software together to make good products for our customers. But what, but by, as a philosophy or an engineering uh, strategy, we design the architectures first and then we integrate. So we absolutely need uh, and continue to rely on Toyota's strength in electromechanical hardware manufacturing. It's just that now we can have software developed in parallel. We can have more features, better uh, quality for our customers, and we can ship new features to our customers even after they purchase the vehicle with wireless over-the-air updates. So it's a big change. We're really excited. There's still a lot to learn, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, what we've been able to accomplish uh, this year so far. Yeah, I mean, that, that is that is a fascinating turnabout, you know, in working from the software first. And certainly for the engineers, you know, I don't think they have anything to worry about because you could have billions of lines of code, but if you don't have actuators and sensors and compute platforms and an electro electrical architecture to make it all do something, it's meaningless. So Exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. We can make a simulation, but at the end of the day, it's got to, uh, you know, move people and goods uh, when the rubber hits the road. So, absolutely. So, um, there's, as I understand, there's there's three main components to Woven Planet Holdings. You've got core, alpha, and capital. And could you give a little little description of what each of those is and how they fit into that uh, that overall uh, philosophy. Yeah. So, um, when just going back a little bit, you know, we had. A, a pretty clear focus when we started TRIAD in 2018. It was a joint venture between Denso, Aishin, and Toyota. And we were to deliver automated driving IP software technology and systems to Toyota. We launched uh, our teammate product on the Lexus LS this year and the uh, next generation Mirai, uh, the Toyota teammate. And that was great. But what we learned during that process was that we had a lot of uh, tools uh, that needed to be improved. So we also started building our ARIN software platform, our automated mapping platform, uh, and these new initiatives. And then Woven City was announced, and Woven Planet took a role in helping manage and lead that project. Uh, so we had a lot more on our plate. 
And one of the things, uh, you know, I spent 20 years in Silicon Valley, and one of the things that I've learned is that uh, if you've got a, a startup, it's very good to have focus, but if you take on too much, uh, you may be distracted, you might, may, may not be able to deliver everything. Uh, so I wanted to create uh, agile teams that had very clear focus, but we also wanted to do more in parallel and grow our company. So um, taking a playbook from Google, if you, if you remember, uh, I used to work there, and uh, when I was there, the company reorganized itself where its core business of search and ads was branded as Google, but then they created a holding company on top, Alphabet, and they had Google X, now known as Alphabet X, which incubated a lot of new products and ideas, spin-offs like Waymo and Verily and so on. And then you also had an investment arm. It was Google Ventures back then, now Capital G, that does partnerships and investments. So basically, that's, that's, that recipe is what we did for TRID. I took our core business, the old structure of TRID, which became Woven Core. We created a holding company, Woven Planet Holdings, on top. I have uh, Woven Alpha, which is our new projects initiatives, like our platform, automated mapping platform and, uh, and software platform. And I have an investment arm, Woven Capital, that uh, has announced some, some new investments and, and we've done some acquisitions. And so that allows us to have partnerships and to move fast. But each of the, the kind of group companies in the, in, in the holding, under the holding company have a very clear mission and focus, but they work together synergistically. And uh, I think it, it creates a very nice structure. Um, we're still learning and we're still evolving, but um, that, that is part of the reason why we, uh, we relaunched the company as Woven Planet. It's trying to balance out uh, having a broader scale and scope of projects that you're working on, like Woven City, uh, but also a very clear focus so that the teams can make decisions quick, can move fast, and, uh, and hopefully have positive impact. Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to Woven City, <clears throat> but for for that, um, you know, Toyota traditionally is a fairly conservative company um, with a, fo- a lot of focus on safety. Um, as a result, it hasn't always rushed into introducing the newest technologies first. You know, it wants to make sure that they're right and, and working properly. Um, nothing wrong with that, but. It, can Woven Planet uh, be seen as an incubator? I think you've used the word incubator before to, to try some of those new ideas more quickly, kind of in parallel to the, the parent company, um, and, and then bring those uh, back into Toyota. And it sounds like that's, that's what you did with, with Teammate um, when it, before, before you became Woven Planet. Um, so do you see Woven Planet influencing Toyota's overall culture over time? Um, and how, how do you see that maybe playing out? Yes, uh, that's a great question. I mean, absolutely, you know, we aim to be a company that is innovating in the mobility space and bringing to market all kinds of new technology and features. And we work closely together with all of our partners to do that. Um, I do think that um, there is a little bit of a misunderstanding uh, about Toyota. Toyota does bring to market world-first products all the time. It's just that they don't talk about them that much. They sort of let the market decide and let customers decide. I mean, we, we shipped our first electric vehicle, the RAV4, in 1996. A lot of people forget that, <laughs> that we actually shipped an electric vehicle uh, 25 years ago. 
Um, it wasn't a market success, but we certainly learned a lot from it, and we, you know, made ever better batteries, and that became, you know, uh, a lot of the things we learned, we, we were able to bring to market really the, wor- the world's first, you know, viable, commercially successful hybrid powertrains, and uh, all kinds of advanced safety features we brought, world first, pedestrian avoidance uh, on our Lexus Safety Sense, uh, even our teammate, you know, is uh, an automated driving system for for highway level two, um, that if the driver for some reason doesn't take over, the car will uh, pull over to the side of the road instead of stopping in lane like many other systems, which is a lot safer. So we have a lot of world first things that we bring to market. It's just that we don't toot our own horn that much. We we let customers uh, judge whether or not we've, we've done something good uh, and then try to adapt and learn from it. But absolutely, I, I see Woven Planet as, as uh strongly positioned to uh, try to help lead in the mobility space. With uh, Woven City, we, we see this as a strategic asset that we can accelerate our development of automated driving and safety technology and hopefully uh, work together with all of our uh, partners and colleagues in the Toyota group to uh, bring great products that you know have the tradition of reliability and reliability and trust and quality that our customers expect. So, uh, you know, it's a big uh, mandate, but I do think that uh, you know innovation does require the ability to um, to learn, and uh, a good way to learn is to try something new and see how it works. And that's absolutely the spirit of experimentation and entrepreneurship that we're trying to adopt here uh, at Woven Planet. Do you see Woven Planet ever becoming a customer-facing brand, or is it like Alphabet going to stay more in the background uh, and let the the various products that come out of these efforts and and transition into the other parts of the Toyota Group, you know, take the get the fame, I guess. I think probably the latter, uh, but um, one of the nice things about the structure we have is it's quite flexible. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, another reason that we launched this structure is uh, we just completed two strategic acquisitions that now have established Woven Planet offices in Silicon Valley, New York, Seattle, London, in addition to our Tokyo and other uh, Japan-based offices. So uh, that allows us to grow flexibly, and and yeah, we may end up having some consumer-facing uh, brand. But at the time, uh, we're really focused on working with uh, our partner companies to supply technology, uh, to uh, deliver more value, and think about uh, how some of the product brands may be uh, strengthened with uh, Woven Planet technology. So maybe someday it'll be powered by Woven Planet, but <laughs> I'm not sure uh, you know, uh, if customers will directly uh, face our brand. Uh, so getting into some of those uh, acquisitions and investments, you know, uh, over the last several years, Woven Planet and Toyota made quite a few investments, numerous companies in the automated driving space, uh, including, you know, you've had TRI, uh, I think, you know, kind of kicked it off, but there's also the investments in Uber ATG and now Aurora since that transaction, uh, May Mobility, and your most recent acquisition of Level 5 uh, from Lyft. Do you I mean, do you expect to eventually bring some of those things together uh, more closely under the umbrella, or do you see them remaining in parallel? Are they you know are you kind of trying to hedge your bets with different efforts that where there's some overlap? How how's that play out in the AV space? Yeah, I think um, you know there 
has been some amazing progress in the last uh, 10 years in this technology, but there's still a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties uh, and uh, a capability gap, frankly, between the dream of having an AI system that could drive as well as a person. And, and because of that uncertainty, uh, there's different approaches that are being taken. People are trying out new things uh, and we're trying to learn and to be cutting edge and learning through partnerships, through our own in-house efforts, as well as uh, investments that we can make uh, will help us uh, stay on top and part of the cutting edge. And everything that has been evolving over the past couple of years is aimed at maximizing learning and, uh, and helping us get ready for this technology that we do know will have a big transformative effect on mobility. So for me, uh, our in-house efforts with TRI and at Woven Planet, uh, we, we know that not all the good ideas are gonna come from us, um, that there's a lot of smart people working really hard, trying out different things. So I think hedging bets is a good way to look at it, uh, but also every market is very different. Every part of the world has different needs, different regulations. Each society has a different uh, willingness to uh, accept or adopt automated driving technology. Some of my friends in Brazil are, are saying, please, you know, ship it today. We don't want any more human drivers. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's different. And so I think uh, because of that uncertainty, it makes sense strategically to uh, make multiple bets and to try to learn and also to do strategic partnerships as well. So that's the approach that we've been able to take. You know, not everybody can do that. Uh, we're fortunate to have uh, enough uh, resources and capability to be able to do multiple engagements. But I do see um, uh, at the end, uh, I see a lot of this technology dramatically improving safety, which is one of the reasons why Toyota has been pretty consistent. Um, there's been a lot of talk about driverless taxis, uh, and that is definitely a very important use case. But um, you know, fundamentally, the perception, the prediction, and the planning technology that goes into those systems can really, really enhance safety. It's just like automatic emergency braking has made such a positive impact on reducing rear-end collisions. Even if the driver is inattentive or, or, or fails to react, uh, the system can help uh, a lot. And so uh, there's over a million people dying every year from traffic accidents. We know that this technology can, can, can make that number a lot smaller but we need to uh, invest in it and commercialize it. And we've got to learn. You, you mentioned earlier uh, mapping as one of the areas you're looking at. Another of your recent acquisitions was Carmera, a really interesting startup uh, doing crowdsourced maps. Um, do you see that technology from Carmera as something that might get integrated into Toyota sooner rather than later. You know, Toyota sells between across the various brands, you know, 10 million vehicles a year globally. Um, and that's, you know, and, and most of those now, you know, or, or at least a significant proportion of them are equipped with cameras. Do you see that technology being fairly quickly moved into Toyota vehicles in the near term to start helping build out maps and maybe building a competitor to something like Mobilize REM platform, the road experience management platform? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have had um, a lot of uh, great progress. Uh, and, you know, we worked with Carmera for the past three years. 
and uh, Toyota had announced even back in uh, 2016 and 17 our crowdsourced uh, computer vision-based mapping uh, synthesis technology for road surface imagery. Uh, so now it's really trying to commercialize that and bring that to scale. So absolutely, I think um, you know one of the one of the annoying things about uh, road surfaces and road geometry is that it changes all the time. Lane markings get repainted. There's construction, um, but you can crowdsource the maintenance of that map data, and that's really our value proposition at Woven Planet for our automated mapping platform. We can we can utilize uh, probe imagery to repair and uh, keep up to date and fresh all of the mapping data. And uh, that is scalable with the volume and size of Toyota. And in fact, Woven Planet has always been thinking even beyond uh, just Toyota. I mean, Toyota is a huge company, but they're still about 10% of the business. So, um, you know, I I think for Woven Planet, we really want to be a, a company that can change the whole industry. Do you, um, do you see technologies like um, Carmera's mapping or even some of the AV technologies as something that Toyota would be potentially willing to license to other automakers um, to, to utilize in their vehicles? Yes, I, I think so. Uh, there's, you know, all options are on the table. Uh, I do think that um, we have had a history of licensing our technology, whether it's our hybrid powertrains. Uh, to other OEMs, uh, because it's the right thing to do for our planet uh, to reduce carbon emissions uh, in a practical, scalable way. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, for for this advanced, especially advanced safety technology and uh, technology related to um, uh, zero emissions, like you know, open sourcing all of our 6,000 fuel cell patents and uh, open sourcing much of the safety technology. Uh, these are things that are morally right. I think uh, for 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 the company, uh, uh, you know, things that are really competitive that can, that customers will uh, differentiate. Uh, Toyota may hesitate, but I do think that um, if it's related to safety, uh, reducing traffic, reducing pollution, uh, those are uh, definitely things that we we want to basically be open about to help push the industry forward. Uh, we talked a lot about you know on the the technology side, um, but what about the, the mobile mobility services? Is that something that's also being developed within Woven City? Um, is, that, is that an area that you've got responsibility for? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the goal of Woven City is really to become a human-centered living laboratory that will uh, explore three kinds of mobility and their, their intersection. The mobility of people, the mobility of goods, and the mobility of information and how those intersect. And in some ways, this pandemic that we've been suffering through has accelerated that mission because so many people have uh, ordered things to be delivered, whether it's food or packages and um, or explored virtual telecommuting, <laughs> working from home like, like we are talking today. I think this kind of technology that um, is at the intersection of how people live and work and uh, communicate is really important for the cities of our future. And that's one thing we're trying to accelerate and learn at scale with the Woven City Project. So uh, services that provide those mobility, we're also looking at smart energy, sustainable energy. Um, We're looking at smart agriculture. You know, food loss in Japan, and it's very similar in in the other parts of the world, is over 50%. Uh, 
there's a lot of reasons for that uh, a mismatch between supply and demand uh, improper storage uh, just you know waste at the at the, at the grocery store uh, or at the restaurants but you know Toyota has built up this Toyota production system of managing a supply chain with no waste and and just in time and so we think that some of the things that we learn about uh, the supply chain for manufacturing cars may be able to help you know, smart urban agriculture, uh, so you can get fresh vegetables or herbs or ingredients just in time delivered to your home in exactly the quantity you need instead of having to overbuy uh, when you only need a little bit. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at all of that. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm, I think for technology development, we should never develop technology just for technology's sake. It should always be to support happy, healthy human life. And that's something that the president uh, really believes in. He wants Toyota not to be just a car company, but to be a company that mass produces happiness. So um, I think it goes back to, you know, his great grandfather, Sakichi Toyota, looking at his mother weaving and how hard she was working and saying, I'd like to invent a machine to help her weave cloth. And that's actually the, the DNA of the name Woven. Uh, It's going back to that original philosophy of building technology to help people. And uh, Toyota still makes uh, most of the world's automated looms in Toyota Industries. But, of course, in a very entrepreneurial move, uh, Kichiro Toyota took the profits from the weaving business to start a car company. And uh, I think President Akio Toyota is taking that same playbook, saying, I've got profitable car business and I take the profits from that business and invest for the future. And uh, that's what Woven Planet is. Uh, President Toyota made a personal investment also in Woven Planet. Uh, and so uh, there's a very strong commitment. And we have a lot of responsibility. We have a, a huge mountain to climb, but we've got Mount Fuji to inspire us. And uh, we are moving forward. So uh, just to be clear, is Woven City, is, is that... Is there actually a physical location where you're prototyping all of this that is called Woven City, or is that just the name of a a, an, a project that's encompassing a number of other things? It's actually a place. Um, it is uh, about uh, 0.7 square kilometers at the base of Mount Fuji in Shizuoka, Japan, at the former site of the Toyota Motor East Japan factory. And the history actually goes back to the great tsunami 10 years ago in 2011 that devastated the Tohoku region led to almost 20,000 people losing their lives. But it wasn't just a personal disaster for the lives of so many families, uh, but it was also an economic disaster because many businesses had closed, people had lost their jobs, uh, people were no, buying, no, no longer buying agriculture grown in that region because of fear over Fukushima. And so the president was thinking how Toyota can help and he decided that the best way was to create thousands of jobs and build a factory in Tohoku to employ people. And they did that. But uh, they had to make the hard decision to close the aging factory that was in Susono at the base of Mount Fuji. So we had this big site. And instead of having uh, this negative decision to close the factory, uh, they turned it into something amazing, which is we're going to actually invest in the region to build a smart city of the future uh, physically at a location that uh, we can uh, move fast. We can change infrastructure. We can uh, learn at scale. 
and uh, deploy these new technologies uh, and services uh, with real customers and people who are using them every day to get to work, to take care of their families, to uh, learn and study. And so that is really the heart and the genesis of the vision of the Woven City idea. So at Consumer Electronics Show in 2020, President Toyota announced it. And then shortly thereafter, Woven Planet was uh, then TRID was asked to uh, run the Woven City management team and uh, and sort of help push this project forward uh, with a lot of the agile philosophy that we've been utilizing um, at Woven Planet. Woven Planet is really a blend between uh, the best of what a Silicon Valley software startup company adopts uh, in terms of its working style and culture and the Toyota production system, attention to detail, quality, and, and trying to really blend those things together. Uh, but in order to have innovation, we know that we can't do it by ourselves. And that's the reason why explicitly the Woven City project is meant to be a project that's beyond just one place. It's really to build and accelerate the development of technology for the entire world, because in fact, our cities of the world have the same issues of pollution, traffic, safety, uh, sustainable energy. All of these things are really important for human life going forward. And we want and we hope that Woven City will become a catalyst and an accelerator uh, and that the Toyota Group can help lead the world in solving some of these really hard problems. So that's really our grand ambition and mission. Uh, it is a beautiful place uh, with a wonderful view of Mount Fuji. So uh, we were able to successfully break ground in February and we've got a, uh, a camera mounted on a building taking a time-lapse photography of all the construction. So uh, I hope to put together a, a reel so you can watch everything being built. But it's really, really exciting. It's, uh, it's going to take uh, quite a while to, to build out the entire area, but uh, the president has said that this is a city that's never finished. It's always evolving. Uh, and in the same way, you know, our current cities of today are like that. You know, nobody would ever say, oh, yeah. Manhattan's completed. <laughs> one, one, one look at all <laughs> the construction cranes and you can tell it's, it's definitely not quite done yet. All right, well. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Ever evolving. That, that is what we, we, we aim for. Well, thank you for your time today, James. This has been a great conversation, and hopefully, one of these days, I'll I'll be able to visit uh, Woven City and see what uh, see what you created there. Um, thank we you. would absolutely love to have you here. Uh, thank you so much. All right, have a great day. You too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.